Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And this makes it so much I just had some of my notes mixed up. Like, criminal records was stuffed in the middle of this one. Like, wouldn't that be funny if I was talking about abandoned mines and then just, like, a robot was like, and if you have a DUI, <laughs> you can call your local police shop and get that expunged. Uh, I think that's bad advice. Well, no, I'm just saying. Do not ever call the police unless it's an emergency. You're right. Chuck. Yes. Um, how are you doing? Good. Three today, huh? Yeah. Day before a holiday, even. In fact, the office is closed right now, and we're still working. I know. It's like crickets outside. Yep. And someone threw a spear at me when I stuck my head out to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Good. That was his assignment. Yeah. So, Chuck, yes. uh, if I may take it down a notch or two. Okay. Have you ever heard of a guy named Taylor Crane? No. Say a kid? No. Taylor is a kid who uh, was 16 years old when he died. Okay. He was on a tour of Mexico um, with his parents. New Mexico or Mexico? Mexico, Mexico. Okay. Old Mexico. Um, and he was on a tour. I didn't realize these existed. Um, but a of abandoned haciendas mm-hmm. and mines. So it's basically like an urban exploration tour of old Mexico. Gotcha. Um, and they were at an old mine site, the tour group was, and Taylor was apparently playing tag and um, jumped up on a low wall. And apparently on the other side of that was a thousand foot mine shaft, which wow. he fell into. A thousand feet? Ten feet across. Jeez. Wide open. A thousand feet down. They had a lot of trouble getting to him to recover him. Wow. Because there was so much lead and arsenic at the bottom that it was really difficult to breathe Jeez. to get down there to, to get him. Wow. So you think like, wow, that's really crazy that Mexico has these open mines. Mind-blowing as it is, Mexico is not the only place. As a matter of fact, here in the States, we have something on the scale of 500,000 abandoned mines. That's the high end. Yeah. But the low end even is still, I think, like 300,000 abandoned mines. Abandoned mines. Probably two of the most dangerous words you can put together. Yeah. And they're all over the place. The U.S. is lousy with them. Yeah, and about 30 people die in the United States every year from accidents involving abandoned mines. And I did a little looking. Yeah, I did too. Apparently, they include... uh, uh, quarries. Yeah. And most of these are drownings. Yeah. Um, because a quarry either has water or an abandoned mine shaft, you know, they'll pump out water to mm-hmm. work in it. Mm-hmm. And then when they're done, it fills back up with water. So, uh, some say crazy scuba divers will try and scuba dive these things. My dad was actually certified in an old uh, marble quarry in Toledo. Really? And the, to be certified, you had to go down to a school bus at the bottom of this quarry. Wow. Um, he, you had to dive down, go into the school bus and grab something from it. It was like right inside and then bring it back up and they'd be like, okay, you're certified. Your dad did that? Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I'm trying to picture that. 
I can't imagine anything more creepy than having to go into a school yeah. bus at the bottom of a filled quarry. No, I'm just trying to picture your dad, like, all, you know, scuba diving and ad- oh, yeah, adventuring. Oh, yeah, like a buzz cut and more like a big watch yeah. and everything. Yeah, he was uh, I he guess was, anytime you're older and you meet someone's father when they're a little older, it's hard to imagine them as young because I didn't know him back then. Yeah. But I picture him on the couch. Oh, no, huh? Yeah. No, he was a, he, he carried a spear gun everywhere he went with him. Did he really? <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So um, sadly, like I said, about 30 people die each year. Many of them are drownings. I think number two on the list is ATV accidents. Yeah. Which doesn't surprise me because tool along an ATV on some, you know, random thinking you're in the middle of nowhere place. Yeah. And all of a sudden the bottom falls out. Literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those were the top two far and away that I came across too. But since 2001, apparently 227 people have died in the United States because of accidents involving abandoned mines. Wow. I saw one in 2008. These two guys were uh, trying to get a former gold mine going again because they thought there was still gold down there. Mm-hmm. And they were pumping out water with a uh, some sort of machine with a generator, and they died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Yeah, that's that's another. I think it's way down on the list. It's like a distant third, but yeah. but I think it's it's um, being overcome, unable to breathe, asphyxiation. That's the word I'm looking for. By bringing in your own thing, or just by the toxic chemicals down there? Toxic chemicals, or um, carbon monoxide, right. or oxygen depletion in general. Right. From people either Ad- trying to get old ones started up, or yeah, know, more likely adventuring. Checking yeah, out and abandoned mines. Let's go ahead and give a tip to people because we like to encourage the urban explorers, which you know. We've done a podcast on that. Uh-huh. But, man, you don't need to be hanging around abandoned mines. No, they... It's very, very dangerous. Yes. I mean, that's just so mind-bogglingly dangerous. Yeah, just resist the urge. And, like, I have that urge, too, because I love the urban exploration. If I saw a hole in the ground, I would want to go check it out. Right. But it's not a good place to be, not a good thing to do. So what's crazy is we said, like, up to 500,000 abandoned mines. And these are just the mines, not mine features. So say every mine has several mine features. Yeah. Say uh, an adit, which is a uh, vertical shaft. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, a horizontal shaft. Uh-huh. Um, and you've got a vertical shaft, like the one that um, poor Taylor Crane fell into. Um, you have all these different mine features on up to 500,000 mines. And the crazy thing is, is as of February 2011, the Bureau of Land Management, which is tasked with finding these abandoned mines, has only found about 31,000 of them. That means that yeah. there's possibly 469,000 abandoned mines in the United States that no one has on any map. True. But like on on the good side they're trying to find them now. Yeah. In 2008 they only had 18,000 of them. So in that span of 3 years they found another uh 13,000. I had 12,000 in 2008. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, even better then. Yeah. Um and I think 25% of those have been remediated, have pending reclamation or they say aren't a danger. <laughs> they say. They say. So, um that's just the physical dangers. Yeah, there's two kinds. There's uh, physical dangers and environmental dangers. And I think, and I guess it's of the ones they found, they said 20 to 30% have physical hazards and 5 to 10% have environmental hazards. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Which, you know, it's not a ton, but 20% is pretty dangerous. Well, a physical hazard is insidious for the lo- just the local people who are walking around it. 
Sure, like falling in. Yeah, or maybe caving in. And by yeah. the way, I found out that any mine feature that is like a hole in the ground, uh-huh. or even like if there's a depression in the ground because a mine collapsed some, yeah, they're called glory holes. Did you know that? That was almost a spit take, wasn't it? Yeah, that's not true. It, I swear to God it is. Wow. I saw a sign today of an abandoned mine called the Glory Hole Mine. <laughs> well, that's that's quite a name. Yeah. Good for them. Uh, mine tailings you talk about, and this is some of the environmental hazards. Yeah. And these can actually be physical hazards, too, if you're living nearby. Uh, these are the remnants of what was going on there, of the mineral, and often it can be very uh, toxic and then... That can either be harmful to you or it can run off into the water right. and be harmful to people, you know, downriver. That was my point is things like, um, like adits and other mine features. Yeah. Um, they're dangerous if you're walking around the mine. Uh, environmental hazards of a mine can be very far reaching. Yeah. Cause in very much the same way that acid rain is produced from like smokestacks, these mines can produce acid rain. Um, and they can also produce acid groundwater. When sulfide, sulfide minerals and oxygen combine with water, it produces acidic groundwater that can pollute an entire water system downstream. Uh, and then also, Chuck, there's uh, mercury tailings are a big problem, especially with gold mines. Oh, I'm sure. So, you know, like if you take mercury and take gold and put them together, mercury absorbs the gold. And you get a rainbow. <laughs> right, exactly. A deadly rainbow. <laughs> Uh, and it makes what's called an amalgam. And then later on, so you have like, you can take little gold flecks or whatever, and now they're like highly portable, stable little things of mercury. Uh-huh. And then you take them somewhere else and you can burn the mercury off and the mercury will vaporize and just the gold is left. Well, the problem is, is that mercury then immediately contaminates wherever you just burned it off and right. it enters the atmosphere and everything. But those kind of tailings are especially problematic in old gold mines too. And does that end up in Goldschlager bottles? Probably. Is that where they get it? I don't know. I hope they're not putting mercury former, <laughs> formerly mercury gold amalgam in the Goldschlager. No, the people at Goldschlager wouldn't do that. Uh, so, Josh, if this is such a problem, why wouldn't these companies clean up their mine sites? It seems like a no-brainer to me. You're there, you do the work, you close it down, you clean it up. Right. Make sure it's safe for everybody. Uh, that's how you do it now. Yes. Supposedly. Uh, it was not the case until 1977 for about 200 years. Crazy. People mined, um, even more than that, people mined in the United States. Willy-nilly. However they wanted. Yeah. And they would, they would say, well, this mine's used up. I don't need it any longer. I'm walking away. Well, the quick answer to my question, oh, sorry. which I will now answer. I thought it, I had answered it. No, is money. That's the real reason, because it's really expensive to clean up your mine site if you're a mining operation and you can pre, what, 1977? Uh-huh. You can just fold up shop and leave. Why would you spend money to clean it up if you were a company without, you know, like, an ethical compass right. and a moral compass? Because, you know, it's going to hit your bottom line, so screw it. Let's just leave it. You know, I can't help but feel like you set me up by asking me that question and expecting the short answer because I've never <laughs> given a short answer. Well, that is the short answer. Um 2006 congressional testimony said it would cost $72 billion to clean up only the hard rock mines, right. like at the, the hard rock cafes. Right. <laughs> $72 billion. Well, the, the Bureau of Land Management, which we said is um, responsible for finding these mines and for reclaiming them, basically, 
um, they they divide mines that they have to deal with into three categories. There's hard rock, which is like gold, silver, minerals, iron maybe. Yeah. I don't think they deal with iron. Um, and then there's coal mines mm-hmm. and then uranium mines. Gotcha. Well, I saw on the East Coast, they had a map of where a lot of these abandoned mines are. And there's a lot of them on the East Coast, and there were, I think, a lot of the coal mines. Oh, yeah. Like the Centralia, Pennsylvania, which we talked yeah. about before, is an abandoned town with a coal seam burning underneath. Oh, yeah, that's right. Creepy. Um, so they abandoned the mines. Uh, over time, uh, land records and lease records were uh, lost, basically. It's and, like a reverse foreclosure. Yeah, pretty much. And so in the end, like no one's on the hook. No one knows many times who these mines originally like who was responsible for this to begin with. Yeah. And even if they do know the miners can be like, uh, do you have documentation that's on that mine? Yeah. And the government goes, No. And the mine owner says, see it. Or the other little loophole, you wrote this, right? Yeah. That you pointed out, which was if you have uh gone through bankruptcy, then you can't be held liable. That is no longer true. Oh, is that not true? Yeah, yeah. I was happy to find that um oh, good. there is there's, you now have to post a bond, basically, as a mining company. From what I understand from research I did very recently, that you have to post a bond, kind of like a fidelity bond, uh-huh. that uh, is money you pay in up front that you get back if your mining operation successfully reclaims the land. If you gotcha. don't reclaim it, if reclamation isn't like the end of your um, mine, or you go bankrupt, that money's still there to pay for reclamation. So you going to correct the article? I think I should. I think you should. People need to know that. Um, here's a little thing, too, called the Clean Water Act, which um, obviously you're going to be violating that if you're letting your toxins from your mind leak out into the groundwater. Right. Big penalties. But um, as you pointed out, that in 2006 there was legislation to exempt people from prosecution who were actually trying to clean up their minds. Yeah. Like, I want to go clean up my mind, and we're going to exempt you uh, as long as you weren't the people who started the mine to begin with, right. from I guess exempt from the Clean Water Act. Yes, from polluting because from one accidentally of the big polluting is with tailings. A lot of in a lot of cases, um, just removing them. Yeah, is going to some's going to slip into the sure. the watershed, and if it's from say a uranium mine, well, those it's radioactive, and right. your water's radioactive, and you're in you have to pay a huge fine. Well, is it better to leave it? I wonder. Uh, it's better to not get any into the watershed. Well, but can you clean it up without doing that? Uh, yes. I feel like what the government has been doing, the Bureau of Land Management does, and they have a division called the Abandoned Mine Lands. Yeah. Um, they basically just build a structure around it, kind uh, okay. of like what they did with Chernobyl, but right. on a much smaller scale, where it's basically like, this is going to stay here for a little while. Right. We'll just put this around it until it's not radioactive any longer. Ah, uh, Okay. That's the impression I have of what gotcha. they're doing, at least with radioactive stuff. Well, that legislation did not pass, though. No, it didn't. Which seems like it would discourage people from trying to clean these things up, right? Yeah, but I also read testimony from a, um, this group called Earthworks, and they were lobbying against that loophole, saying it was overly broad. Oh, uh, really? That basically, like, if you just picked up a little bit of litter or whatever, you were automatically exempt from the Clean Water Act. Gotcha. So it could be used to nefarious ends. Yeah. by amoral people. Well, you mentioned the Abandoned Mine Lands uh, program under the Bureau of Land Management. Um, they get funding 
roughly in the neighborhood of 12 to 15 million dollars a year. And, you know, we said earlier it takes 70 billion to clean up. Yeah. I think just the hard rock site. So yeah. they're doing the best they can. Um, over an eight year period, they cleaned up more than 3,000 mines, which is awesome. But when you've got potentially 500,000 out there, it's a little scary to think about. So to, to remediate a mine, you have to address the physical stuff. And the environmental stuff. You have to take care of the tailings, piles. You have to um, prevent any more acid groundwater from being produced. Yeah. You have to disassemble and carry off any old machinery, any old buildings maybe. Yeah. Um, and you have to cover up entrances. But covering up a mine shaft, a glory hole, as it's called in the uh, industry, yeah. um, is not quite as cut and dry as you think. You just put a huge heavy metal slab over it. Sure. Problem is, is when you build a mine, in a lot of cases, you've disturbed a bat population. Yeah. When you um, abandon the mine, you basically are leaving this bat population with a an, an awesome little place to live. Yeah, a playground, if you will. Exactly. Um, now, bats are really, really essential to uh, our comfort and happiness in that the average bat can kill something like 600 mosquitoes an hour yeah. when it really wants to, if it's feeling frisky. Yeah. So we want to keep bats around. They're already being decimated by uh, white-nosed fungus, right? Yeah. So people who are reclaiming abandoned mines have figured out that there's ways that you can keep humans out but let bats in and out. And so they put on like bat cupolas, yeah. um, uh, vertical shafts, which is basically just like a, a little roof that has slats to let the bats fly in and out. Yeah, that makes sense. And a bat gate is virtually the same thing, except it goes into like an adit. Bat gate. Yeah. Bat cupola. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea, because then like you're not going to find a kid down in there. No. you're not disturbing the population of the bats. Unless the kid is the size of a bat. And, and even still, why is he not yeah, like... Yeah, bat boy. That's his problem. Well, bat boy's fine. Yeah. Um... So the EPA uh, started something called the Superfund, um, which basically means mining companies now pay into this uh, huge bank account to cover costs of future cleanups. Mm-hmm. But that's not enough to meet the needs, so taxpayers end up paying for the discrepancies. Yep. I don't mind my tax money going toward that. So uh, apparently nowadays, since 1977, um, part of the, the Abandoned Mine Reclamation Fund um, – is that if you are a mining company, you're putting in, you're paying a tax basically for every uh, thirty-one, for every ton of surface coal yeah. that you mine, and every ton of underground coal, you're paying um, thirty-one point five cents for surface coal and uh, thirteen point five cents a ton for underground mine stuff, and all of that goes into the Superfund to reclaim it. That's not bad. Well, th- this. This October, I think it's going to go down to twelve cents and twenty-eight cents. Oh, really? As a tax, yeah. Hmm. Um, things, times are tough all over for everybody. Yeah, they are. Um, in 1986, Josh, as you point out, the Department of Interior created an award for mining excellence. <laughs> this is like Yard of the Month for abandoned mines. And reclamating, I think it's called the Miney Award. <laughs> and um, all joking aside, it's very cool that they do this because um, a lot of you know, people are more responsible these days with their mining operations. They're not all bad. Mining is a vital thing. We're not trying to poo-poo that. I know we did, like with the uh, mountaintop removal coal mining, mm-hmm. we came down pretty hard. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of miners these days are pretty responsible, and they are reclaiming this land and uh, going back in and planting vegetation and 
trying to preserve old buildings and make those into live workspace condos. Exactly <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah. So that's great. Yep. Keep it up is what I say. I agree. And be careful out there, ATV people and rock quarry swimmers. Yeah. They're, um, if you see a mine, stay away. I believe that's the name of the program. Oh, really? Yeah. Stay away? Yeah, it's like, you know, those uh, cartoony posters with exclamation points and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, PSAs, that's what they're called. Uh, I think if you do see a mine, go on the Internet and look up reporting abandoned mines, and you will find a way to do it. And that'll be helpful. You'll save some money. Save some taxpayer money if you report a mine yourself. Agreed. Uh, if you want to know more about abandoned mines and reclamation and all that stuff, you can type it into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And I said search bar, which means it's time for That's right, Josh. This closes out the trilogy. Uh, I'll go ahead and start it out with Donna Fessler. My husband always wants to call my beef vegetable soup a stew, but it is broth-based. I don't argue um, and basically, she's asking about this. My recommendation, uh, Donna, is to go check out the podcast Judge John Hodgman. <laughs> I was going to say the same because thing. Because he has a uh, full podcast on, I believe, chili, chilies, chowders, stews, and soups, and the differences, right? This is the first one, wasn't it? It was pretty early on. Yeah. Judge John will break it all down for you. Nice plug, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, Ryan Taylor, question, what time is it? A, hammer time. B, time to make the donuts, or C, beer o'clock? Time to make the donuts. Beer o'clock. We've got one from Jeremy Glover. Did either of you grow up watching Andy Griffith's show? I think he means the Andy Griffith show. Yeah, I I certainly did. I did, too. In reruns. Is there anybody, yeah, same here. Is there anybody who is alive today that didn't grow up watching it? Yeah, well, he's asking that because Andy Griffith died today. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know he's still alive. He was till today. Wow, that's that's well. He had quite a run. Yeah, he was eighty-six years old. Uh, good full life as as Sheriff Andy Taylor and Matlock. And uh, was that it? Those were his two big characters. Didn't he have a third? Uh, those were the two big ones. Well, isn't he like the uh, landlord on Three's Company for a little while? No, I don't think so. Uh, Tanya Chavez, it is my anniversary. Can you do a quick shout out to my very patient husband, Abe Franklin? It'd be a fun surprise. All right. Tania, I think it's Tania. Happy Tanya. anniversary to you and Abe. Happy anniversary, Tanya, Tania, and Abe. Oh, here's a good one. Brandon Nichols, who would you most like to punch in the face? That's sort of like the Fight Club question. Who would you fight? Who would I most like to punch in the face? Boy, that'd be a good one. I think myself many times. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's very much like Fight Club. Actually, I got someone else, but I can't say. I think you know who it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to punch him in the face. Yeah. You got anyone? I'm not saying anything. <laughs> not say anything. So that was kind of a cop-out. Yeah. Uh, Vitaly says, uh, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? I love these questions. Hmm. One horse-sized duck. I would go for the one horse-sized duck because you get like a, a sharpened stick in its neck. It's over and done with. It's kind of like that um, garage full of guided missiles up in space. Yeah. You take one out, you take ten out. If you got like a hundred duck-sized horses coming at you, they're going to get the best of you. 
Yeah, plus that's just creepy, man. Can you imagine a hundred, like, one-foot-tall horses coming after you? I find the horse-sized duck creepier. No, I don't mind, I don't mind that. Okay. That's some good eating, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Micah? Mia? Mia. Mia Paul Connell says Mia how... Mia or Maya? <laughs> Maya says, how is Atlanta really? Quality of life, uh, would you recommend it? I would. I love Atlanta. I'm from here, and I moved back here for a reason. Josh, you like Atlanta? Sure, Atlanta's great. Atlanta's great. Uh, Robert Casey is Jerry as smoking hot as we think she is, and more, my friend. That's all I'm going to say about that. Have you ever gotten a threatening uh, listener mail from Nathaniel Yeager? No, nothing threatening. I have. Really? Yeah. Like physically threatened? Um, uh, no, menacing. How about that? I've gotten a couple of little crazy ones, but no, never menacing. Got you care, menacing. care to share? No. Okay. I don't want to set anybody off. Uh, how about one more? Okay, let's see. Um, why is cilantro so divisive from Heidi Wells? Good question, Heidi Wells. That is a good one. Cilantro, uh, the herb, also uh-huh. known as coriander, or um, Chinese celery, I believe, in some quarters. Or cilantro. Yeah. Um, that was pretty good. Thank you. Uh, is divisive because it strikes different people's tongues differently. It's really big time, right? Some people, cilantro is a glorious herb, including me. And me. I love cilantro. Me too. To other people, it tastes very much like soap. Yeah, my friend says that. And there is actually, if you're interested, a video on WebMD that addresses this question. And if you watch very closely, the filmmaker, who is a friend of mine, who I know through Yumi, put in a, a moment where... He takes a thing of palm olive and puts it over a taco. And it happens just for a second. But it's pretty brilliant once you... It was just funny looking? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, did he just put soap on a taco? Yeah. There you go. Well, here's what I have to say. I feel sorry for people who have that taste reaction. Oh, I do too. Because cilantro to me is one of the great, great things yeah. in uh, on food and some drinks. Yes, I put a little cilantro and margaritas from time to time. So good. It's really nice. Uh, and a couple slices of jalapeno. Mm. Yeah. All right. I'm hungry and thirsty. I am too, man. Let's go eat some guacamole. Yay. Uh, if you have questions for Chuck and I, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can uh, join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Or you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?